0: Today's reading is from Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right, and the goats on his left. Then then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you ill or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was ill and in prison and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or ill or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do to me then they will go away to eternal punishment but the righteous to eternal life Joshua, thank you so much for for reading it's nice to have some people
1: visiting one well, new today my name is nathan if we haven't met really really good to see you look forward to chatting afterwards well, we're going to be looking at that passage you've got bibles this time in front of you rather than just the service sheet so do keep those open at that page as we'll be looking at that together If you're someone uh, here today who calls yourself a follower of Jesus, a Christian, does your love for him, does that show in the way that you treat his people? Does your love for Christ show in the way that you, you care and love his people, the church? Does it cash out in practical ways? Because it's, really, it's a really powerful thing, it's a wonderful thing, isn't it, when it, when it happens. Uh, I can think I've maybe shared this story before, but of a lady um i'll call her karen and she she had had a hard life um just a lot of things that had been very difficult in her life she was a single mum, had three kids and not, not a lot of money um life had just been 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 really awful in lots of ways but she became a christian and as people kind of got alongside her in the church they said look we'd love to come over to your house and you know come over and see you and she said no no one's been over to my house for lots of years it's it's damp and it's, it's old and the garden's over it's just no one's been in my house for years. It's embarrassing. And so with her permission, someone in the church organised a team of people to go in and just clean the house from top to bottom and, and give it a fresh lick of paint, do the garden. And she was so thankful for the love of other Christians. Someone else said, oh, I'll give your son some drum lessons for free. Because he really, really wanted to hit something hard. And that would be a good thing to hit. And, uh, and actually the food for at Christmas that they couldn't really afford. Someone said, do you, do you know, I'll, I'll pay for that. Don't worry about that, I'll, I'll get that. It's a lovely thing, it's a beautiful thing, isn't it, when we hear of that kind of thing. But sadly, often the focus, especially for Christians in the West, as we are here often it's sort of about me and my jesus me and my jesus we're doing fine and well well, i'll try and make it along to church especially if it's kind of together at trinity sunday of course but getting here early for church and serving it's a bit time consuming isn't it and i don't feel i really click with people maybe here at church relationally it's a bit exhausting, it's the end of a the weekend, there's lots going on in my life, and me and Jesus, we're, we're doing fine, but I don't really have the bandwidth or, or energy or love for his people. We can all think of a few super-Christians, can't we? The people that, that kind of let someone stay in their spare room for a few weeks or a month, or the people that give a car to someone who needs a car in church, or... You know, that kind of thing. You know, help someone move house on their day off. We can think of a few super Christians. Can we just leave the sort of caring and loving stuff to them? Well, Matthew 25 says no. (laughs) See, according to Matthew 25, this passage we're looking at this afternoon, when the judge, Jesus Christ, returns, when he comes back, on that day, he will fully and finally separate... Believers and unbelievers based on the way they have treated his people. Because the way that we relate to other Christians really reveals what we make of Jesus himself. If you're joining today, Matthew 24 and 25, we've been looking at over the last month. And it's all about Jesus getting his disciples ready for his second coming, for his return. How should we Keep watch. How could we keep, should we keep ready? Be ready for that moment. So this chapter, even 25, sort of three parables. We've had the. Do you remember the ten bridesmaids a couple of weeks ago? Be ready for Jesus' second coming. Even if there's a delay, we need to be ready. Or last week, do you remember we looked at the bags of gold and those two servants who invested them really well? Those who who use the gifts and talents and energy for serving jesus and his kingdom and the last story that we land on today it's not strictly a parable actually more it's a vision of the future it's the final story in our series that we'll be looking at together as a church actually it's the final story in matthew's gospel before jesus goes to the cross and the tone as joshua read it out you probably picked up is is somber the language is emotive and so a 19th century bishop, a man called J.C. Ryle, he was, a, he was a great guy by all accounts, he said this about this story. He said, there are a few passages in the whole Bible more solemn and heart-searching than this one. May we read it with the deep seriousness and attention it deserves. I'm just going to pray now before we look at the story together. Father, Bishop Ryle's words are true, that this is a solemn and heart-searching story. And Father, on a, on a muggy afternoon where we're perhaps tired after a long weekend, would you help us to let our hearts be searched? I was to be honest, as we come to this parable and story? And Lord, most of all, would we be ready, people ready, for that day when Jesus returns? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Three things we're going to pick up, I hope, from this story. First of all, the king is coming back. Did you see the king was mentioned in verse 34 and also verse 40? The king is returning. If, if you've missed that from the last few sermons... Um, Either I've not been doing my job properly in preaching that because I've been saying it a lot, or maybe you've missed the sermons and you need to listen to them online. But it's what these chapters have been all about. Jesus said, I'm going away, but I'm coming back. I'm returning. And in the second time Jesus is coming, he's returning in judgment. The same Jesus who we celebrate at Christmas, you know, in the first coming, as we think about Jesus' first coming, as he washed his feet, as he healed the sick, washed others' feet, sorry, as he healed the sick, as he sat on the Mount of Olives teaching his disciples, that same Jesus, we're told here, will return. He will come again in, in dazzling, resplendent glory, as the king on the throne who judges. The first coming, he's the king in humility, we might say, second coming, He's the king in glory. As I read 30, verse 31 again. You might want to just close your eyes. And I wonder if this is the picture of Jesus that, that you have, verse 31. When the Son of Man, Jesus, comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. It's a picture that's anticipated in Daniel chapter 7. Let me just read these verses, an image in the Old Testament of this as well. It says this, And there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He was given authority, glory, sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never pass. Be destroyed. Is that a picture of Jesus that you have at all? What is it that the King on the throne, King Jesus, is is doing? Well, it's the work of dividing and separating, because all authority has been given to him. Look at verse thirty-two. We're told this: All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats he put the sheep on his right and the gates on his left. Just three little details there to, to look at. First of all, it will be certain. It's certain, isn't it? It's not he might do this, but three times in these verses, he will. He will do this. Second little detail is that it's universal. Did you see in verse 32? All the nations, people from Mumbai, from Manchester, from Magaluf. People who have lived, people who have died, will be there on that day. Certain, it's universal. There's no distinction between, some of the distinctions we might make, between kings and servants, or, or bosses and employees, or on the basis of race, or class, or gender. Simply two groups on judgment day like sheep like goats jesus says it's 1912 wasn't it that the titanic set sail from from southampton on the famous journey that should have taken it to uh, new york and we all know the story but but one detail that that i only picked up fairly recently was that there were three classes of of tickets that you could get if you wanted to go on on the Titanic. So first class tickets, they were mostly the the business, uh, people in business or the politicians, nothing changes we might say, on the first class. Uh, Second class, professors and authors. Uh, they had a library and they had a smoking room, pretty, pretty nice if you were second class. And then the third class, I think was actually the biggest number of people on the boats. Uh, many of them were immigrants wanting to start a, a new life over in the States. But of course, as the, the boat famously hit the iceberg, it, it didn't matter. It didn't matter what class ticket you had, whether you're first or second or a smoking room there, or a library. All in the same position. The result the same. And on that day, Jesus says, there'll be sheep, and there'll be goats A division. Those who are lost, and those who are saved. I grew up in Cornwall, but I'm no... uh, no country bumpkin, really, at all. So I don't know much about these things. But apparently in the countryside, the, the sheep and goats, they sort of mingled by day. They would, I was going to say, play together. Do they play? Yeah, they play together. They eat together. All of these things during, during the day. But apparently at night, I'm not quite sure why, but by night, one lot would sleep over here and the other would sleep over here. And it was a very, very simple job for the shepherd. You knew each one of them by name. They'd just say, sheep. Goats, sheep, goats, and would know their names. And it was a simple, easy job at the end of the day. And it is the same on the day that the king comes back. So you and I will be on one side or the other on that day. Have you ever thought about that before? Whether you'll be on the left or on the Right. eternal life or eternal punishment, there is not a more important question than that. It's a future reality, more pressing than any discussion of climate change, as important as that is, or COVID-19 economic recovery, as important as that is. See, on that day, there's no purgatory or excuses or second chances. And look if you're hearing this and think this sounds a bit intense, town i've never heard of this before T- do you have a chat with me afterwards or, or maybe the person that you know here at church i'd love to chat to you about this because again to to quote bishop ryle for the second and final time in this sermon he said this he said happy is the one who never rests until they can give a satisfactory answer to that question whether you'll be on the left or the right Happy is the one who never rests until they can give a satisfactory answer to that question. Can you rest? Are you happy? Well, the obvious question comes, doesn't it? On what basis is this division, is this separation made? And maybe you're someone who's been a Christian for a while, and you think, I know the answer to that kind of thing. Um, You need to repent of your sins and trust in Jesus, uh, and then you'll, you'll be okay. And I want to say yes, but that's not what Matthew 25 actually says. See, the basis of the judgment might come as a surprise. Have a look at verse 40. According to Jesus, it's how people have treated the least of these brothers and sisters of mine. There's a bit of debate over who who that's referring to. Some people think it's just the 12 kind of disciples that were with Jesus at the time. Other people would say, no, it's, it's all of humanity. It's how we've treated everyone. And there's various arguments um, for those positions. But the, the Bible, of course, says a lot about caring for, for humanity, and we shouldn't ignore that. But here, it's just a specific reference to the least of these brothers and sisters, other Christians. So it's a principle shown throughout the Bible that that faith in Jesus Christ is always expressed in love towards other Christians. Because the way we relate to other Christians, well, that shows what we make of Jesus. The king is coming back. And there's two results that the next couple of points we'll look at. The second thing, then, is this, that the sheep are welcomed. Have a look at verse 34 page 995 then the king we're told will say to those on his right come you who are blessed by my father take your inheritance the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world hear then that the sheep are welcomed it's a final invitation to, to take the inheritance prepared for them since the beginning before the world began even and the inheritance here is heaven we might say from the other parables the banquets the master's happiness eternity with jesus christ and his people in a perfect relationship in a perfect world what's the basis again for this mouth-watering welcome well it's how they've served and expressed love towards other believers and in doing so showing that towards jesus did you see that in verse 35 for i was hungry and you gave me something to eat jesus says I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was ill. You looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. I wonder if this comes as a surprise to some of us. That to be a follower of Jesus is not merely a matter of what did we say, but what did we do? Not just what have we professed, but what have we practiced? As well, because the way that we act shows evidence for what we profess. I remember being very struck a few years ago by uh, a man at a church I used to be at, and he—he um, he was a, a great guy. He had authored a load of Christian books, kind of pretty heavyweight, meaty books, and he—he uh, he was a well-known speaker, not just in the in the UK, but kind of. Broad as well, serious platforms that he had been on, all these kind of things. But it was very striking to see him, he wasn't employed by the church, but to see him turn up an hour early for church and, and fold the service sheets and, and welcome people just coming in with a welcome land, lanyard like some of you are doing today and, and just quietly crack on with the job. If someone had come in and new to church, didn't know what was going on, he would quietly just get alongside them and serve them. This is a guy who has written commentaries on the book of Romans. I mean, this is a serious brain. Yeah, what's he doing? He's, he's loving other Christians, loving the least of these people who don't, who have just come in off the street. I wonder if some of us maybe are hearing this and I think, doesn't this story, from, doesn't it sound a little bit sort of anti-grace again? <laughs> aren't we saved by faith in jesus alone not not by our works not by what we do what's what's going on here <laughs> okay i think the, the reformers uh, who were writing uh, about this kind of thing i think help us out they say look we're, we're justified by faith alone faith in jesus but as i've said before true faith is never alone See, only the cross of Jesus can our hearts be changed. Can we be justified before God, be made right with him? But that always is expressed then in the way that we live out our lives through love for others. And so if there's two dangers, one danger would be, um, look, I I think I can earn my place in heaven by the good works that I can do. No, (laughs) you're justified and made right with God through Jesus and his cross. But perhaps the other danger that this highlights more is that we think we can get to heaven without them without good works it's the text that makes this point isn't it uh, and here look, how the sheep have treated other christians wasn't to be accepted they were already accepted rather true sheep will love one another will serve the least of these with compassion and in doing so serve christ so we're justified by faith alone, but, but true faith is never alone. It always spills out. Let me just push this a little bit harder. Two fictional characters, kind of bear with me with this. But um, Bold Brian, okay? I don't think, don't think there's any Brian's here, but I'm not speaking to you if this is. Um, Bold Brian. Bold Brian's quite an intense guy, as he might sound. Uh, he, he wears kind of roll neck jumpers, you know, the, the type. He's quite a serious guy. And he's, he's all about Proclamation. He's all about proclaiming the Bible. He's always with people who aren't Christians, always doing evangelism. And he's really, really annoyed when churches kind of do anything to, sort of, any sort of homeless ministry or food banks. Oh, no, that, that's not what it's about. Bold Brian is about proclaiming Jesus, and that is it, okay? Sorry, I got a little bit too, too into that. I didn't think that was going to happen. That's Bold Brian. But then we've got Caring Clara, okay? Caring Clara uh, she's pleased that the coffee's back on at church. And, and she's all about the fair, like, fair trade coffee. That's really important to her. It's the first thing she asks as she comes into a church. Uh, she's all about care for the poor. She's really keen on social engagement. And she looks at Matthew 25 and says, Bold Brian, you've had a nightmare. I'm right, you're wrong. You can see here that it's all about how we treat other Christians and other people. I don't know who you resonate with. <laughs> Karen Clara, Bold Bold Brian. If you resonate more with, with the Bryans, maybe not with the roll necked uh, jumpers, but with the other elements of Brian, you need to hear what Jesus says when he says, Love the least of these brothers and sisters of mine. Yes, that will be costly for time, energy, it might even be inconvenient, but in doing this, we're serving Jesus. It's been great to see that happening uh, over the time we've been at Trinity with people giving other Christians clothes that might need them, Uh, to see that helping out with accommodation or or transport or meals if someone's needing that. It's it's a beautiful thing. If you resonate more with the, the Clara, Karen Clara type character, you probably need to hear more from this, that King Jesus will return to judge. And those who aren't Christians, their greatest need is to hear the gospel. Practical love is vital, but the Son of Man is returning. And we need to help people to be ready. Whoever you resonate more with, I take it together as a a church family, but also as individuals. We want to love the least of these, knowing that there will be a future two-way division. Maybe something to think about more afterwards. Final thing Then we see from this uh, story is the goats punished. More briefly then, Jesus, the king on on the throne, turns to the left and he pronounces a terrifying judgment. Have a look at verse 41. He says this, to those on his left, depart from me, ye who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Jesus says, depart from me to the eternal fire. There's a, there's a finality about this, isn't there? It's extremely painful to, to read this, to hear this as we think perhaps of friends or family members who don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, who aren't ready Maybe it's a painful teaching for some of us just to, to accept and try and get our, our heads around. I think many of us can resonate with what C.S. Lewis, uh, the great Oxford professor, put it like this. He said, "There is no doctrine which I was more willingly remove from Christianity than this if it lay in my power." But it has full support in Scripture especially of our Lord Jesus' own words. See, however sensitive we, we feel towards this kind of teaching, we, we can't and we shouldn't erase hell. It would be unloving to ignore what Jesus Christ, the most loving man who's ever lived, often warned about. And the reason for the judgment, well, we're told that in verse 42, aren't we? Jesus says to them, I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat, I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink, I was a stranger, you did not invite me in, I needed clothes and you did not clothe me, I was ill and in prison and you did not look after me. See, they failed to recognize and failed to show compassion to Jesus by failing to show compassion and help to his followers. It's what we might sometimes call a a sin of omission, It's, it's what they failed to do. And it confirms where their hearts are at, because we show what we think of Jesus by how we treat His people. And Jesus' words uh, in this story are very stark, aren't they? Very stark. But he lovingly warns us here and in other places, giving us and others the chance to respond now rather than on the day when it's too late. Because verse 31, as the king returns, it will be too late. I take it that this reminds us and gives us a a sort of urgency, doesn't it, in in evangelism, in sharing the gospel with others. As we reset a little bit after COVID-19, or or at least from um, where it's not over yet, but as we sort of reset as a church, uh, after some of those restrictions are lifted. It is a reminder, isn't it, of our task to, to share the gospel, to bring the gospel to the nations, to be creative and, and energetic and persuasive as we share the, the glorious gospel of the message of Jesus Christ dying on a cross with friends, uh, with people in the office, at, at TOTS groups here at church, at uh, Christianity Explored and other places. You might well be the only Christian in your friend's life, the only Christian that they know. It's also a reminder that although we naturally sort of divide people into groups, don't we? We sometimes say, well, they're middle class or, or they're working class or, or they're city types and they're creatives, or they're young, or they're old, or they support Spurs, or they support Arsenal. We make all sorts of divisions. But but Jesus says there's any Two groups, the sheep or the goats, the saved or the lost. Verse 46, two destinations, eternal punishment or eternal life. It's a terrifying day for those who don't know Jesus. But for those of us who do know Jesus, the one who sits on that glorious majestic throne is our savior is our shepherd is our friend and and as we finish this series as we've thought about being ready i'd love to just share a a story that hopefully just kind of makes this point uh, in another way when i was when i was 18 i I came up to london on the train um for, for a trumpet lesson you might think today I might need another one. It's been a while, it's been a bit rusty. Sort of played last. But um, when I was, I wanted to go to music college. I desperately wanted to study at music college in London, and um, I, I was clueless. I, I didn't know whether I'd be good enough to go. Um, I, Cornwall was a long way away from the rest of the country uh, where I was, and I, someone said to me very wisely, "Why don't you go to the Royal Academy of Music and have a lesson?" Pick yourself into a lesson with the head of trumpet, the head of brass there, that is a thing, head of trumpet. And, uh, and, and have a lesson, Just, they might be able to tell you, and, and it might help. So I, I got on the train, traveled up, and um, I placed the, the teacher, this guy, James Watson, I came into his room, he was the head of brass, uh, and he, I mean, he'd done everything. He, 21 years old, he was appointed principal trumpet of the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra, played at the Royal Opera House, played on James Bond films, everything on the BBC. He's done it all. And I came into his, his room and, and played him some, some music. And he said to me at the end, he said, Nathan, it's been really nice to meet you. Two months time, come back for the audition. And, and if you make those kind of changes we talked about and do this, do these bits, I'll give you a place. If you play a little better than that, I'll give you a scholarship. But, but I'll be there, okay? I'll be there on the panel come up in two months' time. And that was so helpful for me to hear as I went to that audition. I auditioned at other places and they, hear you, you know, as a, they didn't quite say that, but as you went into the room. But, but as I went back for my audition, everyone else was going into the room, sort of, you know, white as white as a sheet and nervous, shaking, so they kind of played their pieces. But as I went in, James Watson came out to get me, and he says, Nathan, good to see you again. Other people on the panel, this is Nathan, he's a friend of mine. I met him a couple of months ago, yeah, oh, great guy, yeah, come on in, play a, play a music. And what a way to start an audition. Oh, it's okay, James Watson's here. And as we think about this picture of the king on the throne, the one who sits on the throne, he knows us by name. we his sheep if we followed him. And on that day, as he returns in in glory and in judgment, for those who know him, him, he knows us. He knows our name. And he'll welcome us to the banquet for eternal bliss and happiness with him. And there's nothing better than that. Let me lead us in a prayer. Lord, this is a challenging story in the Bible, a challenging place to finish this series. Maybe some of us are challenged, uh, perhaps of our, our, our lack of love for other believers. Maybe we, we think of me and my Jesus, but we don't think of, of other Christians. And Lord, I pray that this will serve as a, as a challenge, will warn us and help us to, to love the least of these Maybe others of us feel perhaps worried that we've not done enough or not loved other people enough. Lord, help us to get this the right way around, to know that we are justified, as we said, by faith in Jesus Christ alone, but that true faith is never alone. Help us to look for opportunities to, Lord, Lord to serve the least of these, to love one another. It's such an attractive picture in a church. And, Lord, I pray that you won't snatch this word away from us today, but it will go deeply into our hearts
0: and bear much fruit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.